you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We are excited that you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our series, Who is God? If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Enjoy the sermon. Amen, amen, amen. Pastor Teddy, you really know how to warm up a preacher, brother. Oh my goodness, not only warm up a preacher, but he knows how to warm up a group of people who are worshipers of our almighty God. Amen? Amen, amen. For the folks joining us online this weekend, I don't know what the worship atmosphere is like in your home, but right here this weekend, uh, we are experiencing the presence of God in this place, and I am so thankful to be able to be with you this weekend. We are jumping into a brand new teaching series over the next couple of months, Who is God? And from the sense of the room, I think I am in the company of some people who have an idea of who God is. I don't think I'm surrounded by people who are strangers to God. I think I'm surrounded by people who know who God is, who have experienced who God is. But how many of you would say, I I am open and I'm willing and I'm desiring to know more about who God is? Who is this God that we sing to? Who is this God that we pray to? Who is this God that we trust and entrust with our finances and we give generously? Who is God? Who is the God that created the heavens and the earth? Who is the God that put breath in our lungs? Who is God? I know I'm room of this size, folks joining online, there are probably some who don't have a faith in God, don't believe in God, maybe believe that there are many gods, and you would sit here this weekend and say, what are you guys getting all excited about? What is it with this raising of hands? Who is this God that so many of you are enthusiastic about? And I have to say, um, the idea of beginning this series and answering this question, let me just put two emotions on the screen as I prepared this week and over the last couple of weeks and even today, uh, two words that can describe where I'm at in this moment, intimidated and underqualified. How how am I? (laughs) I I don't know how uh, much you would think my words were legitimate if you knew that I did not have enough education, talk about underqualified, to answer the question, who is God? I I, I have a feeling at some point, if I don't get this right, like, zap, I'm done, like, it's over, it's over. Like, who is God? How can I do this? There's such a, a sense of inadequacy, a sense of... Yes, I I think I see what this text says, but can I do it justice? And so that's where I'm at this weekend as we we dive in. But you also have to know, though I, I know I'm 
intimidated, feel it, know I'm clear that I'm underqualified. I am highly motivated, highly motivated by the privilege to open up the scriptures and do my best to help all of us see who God is. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome, you're welcome. <laughs> Why am I highly motivated, though? You might not like this, this next thing I'm going to say. Why am I highly motivated? What's my burden for this topic this weekend and over the next several weeks as we jump into this? It's simply this. The current cultural moment has many Christians, many of us, consumed. If we're being honest, many of us in this room, we know God. We just spent some time praising God, worshiping God. But if you're anything like me over, this over the course of this week, this last couple of months, come on, two years of all the things going on, we have been consumed by our circumstances, our causes, our callings, rather than or more than our worship and adoration of God. How many of you would just say there's been times this week Though I just sang to God, there were many times this week I was consumed by my financial circumstances. I was consumed by the health ailments that I have in my life or my loved ones. I know God, I praise God, but this week my heart was not gripped by God in those moments where my circumstances were overwhelming me. Can anyone say amen to that? And that burdens me. How can we at moments, and I've been there too, praise God like we do in this place, hoop and holler. But for some reason, Wednesday at about 6 p.m., when we get home and the day was tough and we walk in the door, it seems like that God that we praise here is so far from our minds. We can't grasp him in those moments. Like, what's up with that? And maybe it might be your relational circumstances, financial, health, whatever it might be. Those things consume you. And if it's not that, come on. In this cultural moment, so many of us, maybe we're not consumed by our circumstances, but we're consumed by our causes. Throughout the week, Something just got over us and we needed to champion our cause. Come on, somebody. Online, we just couldn't resist. Can I just meet you at that moment on your phone? On, you wanted to not, but you did. Because you've got a cause and it's for the Lord and the people have to know. Why is it that we can praise the Lord in these moments when we're together and throughout the week, our, our adoration in our hearts are consumed by our causes? What's the disconnect? The calling, I know for much of my Christianity, I would praise the Lord on the Sunday, I would read my Bible, but really at the depth, my affection, what I really loved, what I really worshipped was the idea of God's calling on my life and being somebody. 
I wasn't enthralled in the master himself. I was enthralled in what I believed the master was calling me to do. How many of you can relate, even just this week, what consumed you was the status of your job, the way your boss sees you, the growth trajectory you're on and the career path you're on. That's what consumed you as opposed to worship and adoration of God. Something tells me if we had a clear picture of who God is, we would have a worship that could be sustained throughout the week, that could be deeper than our worship of circumstances, causes, and callings. How many of you would say, I want that type of sustained worship in my life? Someone say, amen. It's reminded of, of Jesus' words. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah. He says it this way. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That word heart in the Greek, it talks about the seat of your emotions, the affections. Some of us, if we're being honest, we have more affection for our sports team than we do for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How do I know that? Because because here, there's a certain amount of interest. There's a certain amount of engagement. Oh, but man, when your team comes on, you praise. You worship. Your heart, it flutters. It sings. Oh, my gosh, they're winning. Someone say, that's, that's wrong. <laughs> these, 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 these guys don't care. They don't care about us. They don't care about us. They don't care about us. Man, we give them our hearts. Here's another burden, and we'll get into the text in a little bit. But for many of us Christians, God is more useful to us than he is beautiful. Just let that sit for a little bit. I think we need a clear vision of God. Because for too many of us, he's just someone we use. Someone we we call out to when we need something as opposed to someone we, we worship. He's more useful than beautiful. Was, was your heavenly father at any point this week beautiful to you, church family? Okay, praise God. Some, yes, he was. Okay, okay, praise God. I'll, I'll, I'll ask it this way. At any time this week, did you relate to God on the basis of his beauty rather than on the premise of his power? Did we at any point this week, especially for the Christians in the room, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's okay, this doesn't apply to you, it's all right, but for the followers of Jesus, at any point this week, did you relate to God because he was beautiful or was every relation and every interaction with God this week on the basis of, Lord, do something for me? Um, my wife here, she's gonna, she's gonna hate me for this, but here we go. There are certain times where I, I look at her and I tell her this. I say, honey, you're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. And in those moments, it's not about our forward progress as a couple. It's not about the bills. It's not about what we're doing together. It's not about her usefulness to me. 
And I praise God, I mean, just, just the other day I'm doing some sermon prep. She came in and she had cut some apples up for me. And she gave me some apples. I mean, talk about useful. Come on, praise the Lord. I was, praise the Lord. But in these moments, I, I just look at her and I say, honey, come on. You know these moments. I'm not lying in front of these people. I say, honey, you are so pretty. You're so beautiful. And I just wonder, do we ever... This week, did you ever just stop and gaze at the Lord and say, God, you're beautiful. It's not about what you could do for me, but it's about who you are and your majesty and your beauty. And I want that to be more of the reality for more of us, for more of the hours of our day. How many of you would say, yes, I'm in on that. I'd like that. So how? How can we get to this place where God is more beautiful to us than useful? Here's what I think we need. I think we need a grander, more glorious, more biblical vision of God. Plain and simple, I think for many of us, our vision of God is much too small. We have a a comprehension of God, a picture of God, a box of God, and we have placed them in that box, and there is so much more. And so what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to look at who God is. And so where do we get? How can we get a clearer, grander, more biblical vision of God? Now here's the good news. This is incredible. God, there is one portion of scripture where God actually describes himself. He reveals to us who he is. We're going to be in Exodus, Exodus chapter 33, 12 through chapter 34, 8. Big portion of text. And here's, here's what's going on. First, what you need to know is today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce our series by preaching through this text. And then over the next several weeks, our team of, of teaching pastors is going to go through these descriptors of God that God gives of himself. God describes himself. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, he describes himself. And so we're going to look at that more closely in the weeks to come. But today, we're going to look at how did, how did God get to the point where he did describe himself. And so let me give you the context of this passage we're going to look at today. So we're in the book of Exodus. The nation of Israel, the Israelites, God's chosen people. They have already been uh, escaped from slavery. They've gone through the Red Sea. All of that has already taken place. And we have this moment that many of you are familiar with that Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He gets the Ten Commandments. And the people, because he was taking too long with God, they get restless. And so they start worshiping a golden calf. Moses comes down from the mountain, sees them worshiping the golden calf. He throws the Ten Commandments down. God is angry, starts referring to his chosen people as a stiff-necked people, a stubborn people. 
Moses is frustrated. God, help me with these folks. Why did you make me the leader of these people? What is this all about? And then and then and then, what we're going to look at today is they have this epic conversation in a tent. God and Moses, Moses and Almighty God have a conversation in a tent, and it's in this conversation in a tent where God reveals himself. He tells us the only place in scripture where he tells us who he is. So here's the outline for today. Here's where we're going. First, we're going to look at Moses' questions. Moses, what did Moses ask in the tent? And this is gonna be very important because I believe Moses' posture in the tent before God should be our posture. And if we take on Moses' posture, it's gonna give us a better chance of seeing God as who he is in the same way Moses did. After we look at what Moses asked, we're gonna look at how God answered. God actually answers Moses in the tent and then we're gonna answer the question at the end. So what does this mean for us? So how does that sound for an outline this weekend? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Come on a little bit more, just so I can feel it, just so I can engage. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Ooh, here we go. Let's jump into this epic conversation in a tent. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people. Because God had said, okay, you need to leave Mount Sinai and lead the people into the promised land. And Moses says, you say to me, take these people to the promised land, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, listen to Moses' posture, listen to Moses' prayer, please show me now your ways that I may know you. Please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. I love that. You were the one that picked them. (laughs) I didn't call them God's people. You called them your people. Let me just remind you. He was dealing with God on the basis of his promises. What an insight for us on how to best deal with God. On the basis of his promises. And so he goes on. And he said, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. And here's Moses' second prayer. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? If your presence will not go with me, show me your ways. Give me your presence last. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And then Moses said, look at the audacity of Moses. Please show me your glory. So what did Moses ask? I want us to move quickly through this, get to God's answer. But I want us to see these three prayers that Moses prayed. Three humble prayers. Show me your ways. Show me your ways. And not show me your ways so that I could have success. You've got to look at that text closely. It says, show me your ways so that I may know you. 
I wanna know your ways, not so I know the way to go. I wanna know the way so I can know the way maker. Show me your ways, give me your presence, show me your glory. Now I just, I need us to see how unlike Moses' prayers are to ours. Maybe this is why we don't see God in his fullness. Because we're praying with a different emphasis. Let me put up some prayers that I know I have historically emphasized. See, instead of praying, show me your ways, typically I pray, show me your will. I don't want to know your ways so that I know you. I want to know what you want me to do so I can do it. Is this, is, the, is this the job I'm supposed to go to? Show me your will. Is this the person I'm supposed to be in a relationship? And all the single people say, yes, yes, yes. Is it? Show me your will. <laughs> show me your will. Am I supposed to stay in this? Man, I mean, show me your will. Oakland to Las Vegas, show me your will. Because I don't want to waste time. Show me your will. But in that, is God more beautiful to me or is he's useful because he's going to show me his will? Give me your presence. How many times do we pray, give me your presence? Instead of giving your presence, what do we pray? No, I want your power. I want you to break through in this situation. I want you to set me free. See, Moses knew Better to be in the desert. Better to be in the desert with the presence of God than in the promised land without it. And I just don't know if we feel the same way. Do you want God's power more than his presence? Do you want his power in your, his presence in your marriage more than you want his power to heal your marriage? And once he heals it, then I don't need you. I just need you to heal it, and then we'll move along. I want your power in my kid's life as opposed to, Lord, give me your presence to be patient with them, even when they're not following you. Lord, give them your presence, not give them the right way to go and all the right things to do. Give them you. Show me your glory. It's the last time, I mean, we don't use words like this, but we, we pray to pray. Show me you in your fullness. What do we typically pray? No, be good to me, Lord. Show your goodness is running out. Oh, I love that one. Here's what I think. In many ways, how God responds next, he answered Moses in the way that he did because Moses had a posture of wanting to see God and know God more than he wanted the gifts, the benefits, the power, the goodness, the will of God. He just wanted God. Church family, do we want God this weekend? God, in Jesus' name, in just a moment, we're gonna look at your answer to Moses. Show us your glory, Lord. Show us your ways. 
Give us your presence, Lord. Help us to not want anything more but you. You are what we need, Lord. So God, as we, we enter in to your answer to Moses, Lord, may it not just be some notes that we write down so we have a greater theological understanding of who you are. God, give us yourself in these next few moments. And for those of us in this room who, who have not wanted you in the way that Moses wanted you, God, would you place within us a desire to want you that can't come from within? Give us you, Lord. Give us you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So how, how did God answer? Now, this is where I'm scared. Okay. God answers. And what we see first, I'm going to show you three characteristics of God. Let's start with number one. What we see is an untamable grace. What does God say? Moses says, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. And then God answers. He says, I'm going to pass by you. We'll get back to that. But he says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. This is God. I will be gracious to whomever I want, and I will be merciful to whomever I want. Paul, in the book of Romans, he, he takes this thought a little bit further. In Romans 9, he references this tent meeting, but before he does, he has these words to say, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Is God just for choosing to pour out his love on one and choosing to hate another? Put that into your theological categories and figure that one out. Probably makes a lot of us uncomfortable in the room. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. An example of this is with Jacob and Esau. One he has mercy on, the other one obviously not. And then it goes on to say in Romans 9, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but let's read those three words together, but on God. God's mercy and God's grace isn't on anything you could do. You coming here tonight is not moving the hand of God to be merciful towards you. It's not on your human will, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, here's another example of God having mercy on whom he has mercy, compassion on whom he has compassion. When it came to Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens the heart of whomever he wills. This is God. Some of you, I don't like that. I don't like that. If I was God... Couple commentaries to, to, to lean on to help us understand what is 
What is this about? This idea of an untamable grace. First, let's look at John Piper, what he has to say. This is profound. God is utterly free from the constraints of his creation. The inclinations of his will move in directions that he alone determines. Whatever influences appear to change his will are influences which ultimately he has ordained. (laughs) If we influence God in any way through our prayers, he ordained beforehand that we would do that. His choice to show mercy to one person and not to another is a choice that originates in the mystery of his sovereign will, not in the will of his creature. Whoa. Who is God? This is God. Untamable grace. Uh, Another commentator says it this way, Kent Hughes, God is not answerable to man for what he does. This is so unlike anything else. Every other human being walking the face of this planet in some way, shape, or form has to answer for what they do. Well, that's what we hope. (laughs) We have to answer for what we do. God's in a whole nother ball game. He does not have to answer. So here's how I, those guys say it eloquently. I'm a simple person, I say it this way. God saves some. God doesn't save others. God doesn't owe us an explanation for why. Who is God? He's one who has an untamable grace. He saves some, he doesn't save others, and he doesn't owe us an explanation for why. Oh, I don't like that. I think that's our problem. We have created a version of God that we can comprehend. Why is it that we don't worship him? Because he isn't someone who transcends our thinking. Does your God think only the way you think? (laughs) Maybe if he thought and we uh, knew his ways were higher when what he did didn't resonate with what we would do instead of being like, well, if I was God, I wouldn't do that. We would fall to our knees and worship and say, you're obviously doing that because you know something I don't, God. So I worship you. I bow before you. John MacArthur and his thoughts about this passage, he, he preaches a message around this passage and then he closes in prayer. And I love his closing prayer after preaching on the untamable grace of God. He says, we just trust that you are too loving to be unnecessarily unkind, too wise to make a mistake, too just to be unfair, and too holy to tolerate sin. And we do not reason from our own minds back to you. Come on, that's what we do. If it doesn't make sense in our mind, then it can't be true about God. Our minds back to him. Oh God, save us from creating you in our image. What a powerful prayer to pray. He closes by saying this. Help us to understand that you are the sovereign God who does according to his own good pleasure and yet mysteriously in no way does that that violate the volition of a man who could choose life or death, heaven or hell. And how those two seemingly opposite things are harmonized is for you to determine, not us. God's sovereignty, man's will, how do you put those together? I don't know, but we trust you. Untamable grace. Gotta keep it moving. 
Not only do we see an untamable grace in his response, we see an unseeable face. He said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. There's no human being that when you see their face, you die. That's just not anything that we can comprehend. Tony Evans, his words on this passage, this means that while God would let Moses see a portion of his glory, he would not show him his face, not the essence of his being, to be exposed to the unfiltered glory of God on this side of eternity would be like entering a nuclear reactor or traveling to the sun. The divine holiness would consume us. Who is God? Someone, if you saw him, you'd die. <laughs> One more commentator says it this way. If Moses were to see a complete revelation of God in his eternal being, it would be so overwhelming that it would destroy him. God is absolute in his perfection. Moses was a finite, fallen creature, and as such, he could not see God and live. No one can, as Augustine said, no one living in this life can see him as fully as he is. This is our God. I, I sum up once again, a little bit more simply. God's holiness, if seen in entirety, would kill you. <laughs> I'm just, I don't, I just don't have any fluffier words. <laughs> so how does God answer? I have an untamable grace. I pour out grace on who I want to, and I don't on the ones I don't. How does God answer? I have an unseeable face. You can't see me. <laughs> you can't see me. All you can get is like my odor. <laughs> You could just get a, a woof, a whiff. I don't know what the word is. <laughs> but, if, but if in this moment you feel like, wow, gosh, unfathomable, or uh, what, what am I call? What did I say? What type of grace? Uh, untamable grace, an unseeable face. Look what happens next. I just call it an unthinkable love. Couldn't find another word that rhymed with ace. Look what happens. After all this, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Though he chooses whom he loves, doesn't have to explain himself to anyone, though he has a face that cannot be seen by man or woman or anyone living, he has an undeniable love in the way that he descends in the cloud to stand with Moses. And keep in mind, this whole time, he's talking to Moses. This God who is so untouchable in so many ways is showing here how relational he is at the very same time. Um, I love the, the thoughts here on this passage in terms of God descending. Philip Graham Riken says this, he's a great God, and no matter how high we reach, he still has to stoop. Moses had to go up Mount Sinai, but God still had to come down. It doesn't matter how high we go in our spirituality, how high we go in our Bible reading, how high we go in our ethics, God still has to descend to mess with you and me. This is our God. 
For us to have an encounter with God at all requires his infinite condescension. He is the creator. We are only creatures. He is enthroned in heaven. We dwell on earth below. He's God. We're not. So if he relates to us at all, he must come down. Church of Jesus Christ, we need a grander, more glorious vision of God. And then, as if that wasn't enough, he describes himself. And this is where we'll spend the next several weeks. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord. What a G, talking about himself. Me, me. I am, I am, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God tells us who he is. And so you've got to commit now. Come back next week. Come back the week after as we do a deep dive into these characteristics of God. Now, as we close today, I want to answer this last question. So what does this mean for us? Great. Moses had this posture, seemed to have got God's attention. God answers untamable grace, unseeable face, wow, undeniable love, praise God for that. What does that mean for us? Number one, in regards to the untamable grace, if he shows mercy on whom he shows mercy and hardens whomever he wills, if God has shown you mercy every single day of our lives, we should live in a perpetual worship and awe of a God who loves us, who doesn't have to love us. If God has not hardened your heart towards him, you should praise God that he hasn't hardened your heart towards him. There was a moment where God, for many of us, softened our heart towards him. Do we understand that there are some people in his sovereign will and mystery that he does not choose to soften their hearts? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus, we should live every single day, regardless of what's going our way and what's not, with the perpetual praise of God for his mercy unseeable face if God really does have an unseeable face we should have a healthy fear of God a healthy fear one that's not flippant with God using God's name in vain talking to God without a sense of of reverence and a sense of awe there should be a a respect for one whose if you saw his faith you would uh, face you would die on the spot not only that but there should also be a perpetual worship because if you've ever experienced if you've got a whiff of any part of God how many of you would say I've experienced the presence of God I've experienced the glory of God and if you've ever had a moment where man God, you didn't know me that moment. 
an undeniable love. What we see in this tent, in both the character of God and the character of Moses, is the person of Jesus. Jesus descended. The same way God descended to have this conversation with Moses, to show him just a part of who he was. Jesus left the right hand of the Father, was born of a baby. Talk about an infinite condescension to live amongst us, to live the perfect life that we could never live, to die the death that we should have to die, raising up from the dead so that we could have a relationship with God. Do you see in this epic tent conversation the person of Jesus in the character of God? But also in this conversation, we see Moses who is a type and a shadow of Jesus. What was Moses doing in that tent? He was mediating. He was, he was talking to God on behalf of the people. Go with me, go with us. Don't treat us as you wanna treat us. Lord, we're your people, remember? How many of you are thankful for a greater advocate Oh, a greater advocate. The one mediator that Hebrews talks about, who even now is at the right hand of God, reminding God, remember the sacrifice that I paid for your children. Take it easy on them down there, Lord. I already paid the price. Undeniable love in the person of Jesus Christ. So how do we apply it real quickly? Some of us right now in this moment, and as we close, some of us, we need to repent. We need to repent of the small God that we have in our brains. We need to repent of the casual nature by which we interact with this holy God who if we saw him, we would die. We wouldn't re repent for our ingratitude for the mercy that he has poured out on our lives when he doesn't owe us that mercy. We've got to receive. Some of us in a fresh way, we've got to receive that undeniable love. Jesus coming down, we need to receive that love again and, and return next week. Come back. Can you imagine a church Week after week, imagine this type of church. Humbly bowing before God, saying, show me your glory, show me your glory. Us seeing that glory, experiencing that glory. And then now, like Moses, our face shining to a watching world who needs hope for their lives. Would you bow your head with me and let's pray. God. In only the way that you can, in a message like this, Holy Spirit, speak. Help us to know what to do with what we've just heard. If repentance is required of us this weekend, Lord, give us the, the confidence. We don't have to fear you. We don't have to have an unhealthy fear of you in repenting because we have a perfect mediator in Jesus who died for our sins once and for all. So we're free to confess. Help us as we open up these altars, Lord, to respond in the way that you call us to respond.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.